This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Today, I have with me David Donaldson, who is the CEO of the Atlanta Healing Center, and we wanted to talk to you about some recent changes in the Georgia law, which will make it possible for citizens like yourself to be able to act as a lifesaver and help to reverse opioid overdoses. So thanks for joining me, David. Oh, thank you. I'm very glad to be here. This is a very important topic. It is, and it's one that is going to um, create some pretty major changes for the state, which shouldn't affect any of our listeners directly, but will certainly impact pharmacists, prescribers, patients taking opioids, their family members, and um, other people in the community, such as first responders. Now, back in 2016, uh, the Georgia legislature put together a commission to look at the prescription opioid epidemic. They asked them to go through and do some studying, looking at what are the risk factors, what are, what's the impact of the use of opioids, prescription and illicit, such as um, heroin and fentanyl, what's that impact on the lives of the citizens of Georgia? And one of the things that they found was that in 2015, there were 1,307 overdose deaths in Georgia. Of that, 68% or 900 were related to opioids plus um, heroin. That's a lot of overdose deaths, and that has a huge impact in, in terms of what's happening in our state and what's happening to our citizens. Because when we look at the average age of people dying, it's somewhere between the ages of 25 to 45. These are folks that are expected to have an 80-year-old, an 80-year lifespan. And so we are losing a tremendous number of years of patients' lives. Well, and I think this, is, this has really been a, a big part of the national conversation with, with news stories related to the Triangle, with HBO specials, with all these different channels looking at just how, how much the opiate um, addiction and opiate epidemic, as they're referring to it, has, has impacted the nation. Um, a, a lot of what we're looking at today is specifically bringing it to Georgia um, um, because Georgia state legislature is really taking it serious and, and working at saving these lives. Um, you know, as you talk about the people we're losing, it, it's so interesting that we're losing um, parents. Um, there, was, there was a study out or a report out recently about foster care systems are filling up with kids of, of people where both the parents have, have overdosed. Um, so, so this is incredibly um, important that, that we're looking at this. Today it's not such an emphasis on, on um, understanding and treating the addiction so much as saving people who are at the risk of dying from it. The impact is tremendous. And, David, I'm glad you brought up the point about the children who are left behind because this is a real phenomenon and this is a very serious legacy for these kids to live through. 
the, the death and loss of their parent at an early age. Often they're in situations where family members are not able or um, around to be able to help take them, and so they're now becoming wards of the state or, you know, living in foster care, which, you know, um, can be a great blessing to them, but also can create a lot of difficulties on top of a poor child that is grieving for the loss of their parent. Really, really a very un unfortunate situation. So it's, it's amazing, and looking at Georgia, just how much it's gone up. Um, um, I know as, as we moved into 2010, bef before that we were dealing with alcoholism, alcoholism we were dealing with cocaine and and we would have a, an opiate addict show up every now and then at our doors um but it seemed like in 2010 it just took off that we were we were hearing about more deaths we were hearing about more um we were having more admissions um and it, it, there was some sort of major change that happened about that time frame in terms of the prescribing practices that that brought it to our door and um, I, I think it hasn't really slowed down since, since even though they've tried different things to get a grip on it. Um, the, the, the influence or the supply of opiates just kind of keeps like a whack-a-mole changing directions and where it's coming from, and, and the, the demand just keeps getting higher and higher. And you make an important point because it was around 2010, 2011, when the... Um, um, the DEA came down uh, against Purdue Pharma and required them to make their main-selling, high-selling product, OxyContin, now tamper-proof so that an individual could not break apart the capsule. They weren't able to inject it. They weren't able to snort it. And when there was this change in that particular products that had been marketed to primary care doctors, internists, other um, folks who might be seeing folks in acute or with chronic pain. Um, they were marketing this as a drug because it was long-acting, as one that people with addiction wouldn't want, that you couldn't get addicted to it, that it was a very safe, long-lasting pain reliever. Uh, lots of people were writing it, and then there began to be investigations into the, the reality, which is that this became a very popular drug. This became a medication that many patients who do have the disease of addiction and other folks who were wanting to use it for non-medical reasons, but using it recreationally, if you will, that now they've got this great drug, lots of doctors writing it, and we've got this um, huge, huge growing problem with prescription drugs. The reaction to changing that formulation and requiring that new medications for pain that came out also have tamper-resistant um, structures, either that the pill, if you try and open it, it becomes a jelly, if you, you couldn't inject it, um, that the sh outside shell is so hard you can't break it. Other kinds of uh, tamper-resistant qualities were built into the medications, making it less attractive to, um, to our patients who have addiction, but also um, 
with the news around all of this and with um, the increased awareness, doctors begin to change their prescribing patterns. And the, um, the important thing when we look at the, the information from Georgia was that um, starting in 2011-2012 and by 2013, the number of deaths related to prescription opioids was actually going down. But the unfortunate thing was that during that same time period, we have a rebound effect in terms of now people are dying from heroin. So once the prescription drugs became more tightly regulated and doctors became more educated, we're seeing a decrease in individuals getting the prescription drugs, but we're now seeing the unintended consequence of heroin. But, and, and we've talked real, real regularly about how patients that, that we work with just made that switch, that they were hooked on the pills, that they loved the pills, and, and it got to a point where the pills had become so expensive that they couldn't afford it. Um, and their dealers said, well, here, try this. This is so much cheaper. And they would just switch right over into heroin. And I believe it was too, late 2011, 2012 that we started seeing some the deaths increase. And at that same time, we began noticing in, in our drug screens at the Atlanta Healing Center that, that not only did it contain opiates and heroin, but we began noticing that it was containing fentanyl um, and, and started on this radio show sounding the alarm that, that, uh, that we're dealing with a different creature out there and it's causing people to overdose first exposure. Um, you know, it used to be a myth that, that um, you don't really risk overdosing that quickly because you're kind of, a, um, you know, you're just getting into it and you take a little bit and, and they're, they're, they would be doing it with a little bit more caution, but fentanyl would just change that game, that they would, they would be gone before they ever had a chance at becoming an addict. And unfortunately, they don't know. They have no idea that the fentanyl is mixed in, and in some cases, uh, we know, for example, in Vancouver, British Columbia, and Seattle, Washington, we know what's happening there is that um, fentanyl is now being uh, manufactured by the Chinese, imported into Canada and the United States in a pill form that looks like OxyContin, and the individuals think they're buying OxyContin that they then snort or inject, and instead it's pure fentanyl, and they're seeing a rash of deaths. Um, here in Georgia, though, we are recognizing that we are the in the top 11 states in terms of prescription overdose deaths. That's pretty shocking. And that our data indicates that 55 of Georgia's 159 counties have higher overdose death rates than the average in the United States. And that, unfortunately, um, 11 years ago, there were just 26 counties. Many of these counties are rural counties. In fact, 66% of these 55 counties, lots of numbers coming out here, but 60% 60, um, 60 of these counties are actually, unfortunately, um, with very high drug overdose rates. They are also 
uh, rural and unfortunately do not have adequate medical treatment. They don't have medical-assisted recovery. They don't have uh, individuals who are trained in managing addiction. So we've got this huge problem in areas that are underserved in terms of medical professionals who can help. You know, looking at the at Georgia and the surrounding states, where where you speak of how it's really hitting those rural areas, Alabama is even worse on the on that. Yeah. Um, and Louisiana is it, Mississippi is worse. It's you know as it gets out and you're further away from from medical options and professionals such as yourself that are are educating and, and informing people of how to handle it, the, the death rates are really going up. And in order to kind of put this into perspective for our listeners. Uh, in 2015, in Georgia, we had 1,307 overdose deaths. In 2015, we had 1,345 um, vehicular deaths, people dying in car accidents. So there were slightly less than 40 uh, people different between the number of folks who died from overdoses versus those who died from car accidents. This is a lot of people, and this is a big problem. We're going to take a break now. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about what Georgia is doing about this and what you can do. Thanks for listening. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.
Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction, and I'm Dr. Susan Blank. With me today is David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center, and we're talking about the impact of prescription drug and opioid overdoses in the state of Georgia. This commission was uh, put together to advise the legislature on some upcoming uh, legislation that has actually, most of it was signed yesterday by the governor, and this uh, particular document uh, that outlines the actual impact, not only the death rates, uh, which are equal almost to um, vehicle crash deaths, but um, we're looking at the, um, the cost, not just in death, but in terms of hospitalizations. This um, hospitalizations related to uh, opioid overdoses and use um, went from 300,000 in 2002 to uh, over 500,000. So it's impacting in every way we can think of. It's impacting our jails. It's impacting law enforcement. It's impacting our health care system. It's, as David, you mentioned, it's impacting our foster care system. It is really uh, becoming a bigger and bigger problem. And as we're making some inroads on helping doctors be more appropriate in their prescribing of pain medication. The other side of it is now we've got the whack-a-mole popping up of, of heroin and now the really scary fentanyl that is, um, is showing up. So this is a big problem, and this has created a number of um, legislative opportunities for our um, state to make some changes and and to do some things differently to help with the impact of this particular um, epidemic that we're dealing with. So just kind of in some history, um, in 2004, HB 965 was signed into law. And this law provides immunity from certain arrests charges or prosecution from those seeking medical assistance from overdoses. Um, prior to that, what we real often would see would be if somebody was in, in an overdose state, um, their friends would drive past a hospital and, and just kind of push them out the door at the emergency room, um, or they would just abandon them in the situation that they were in. Real often, they, we talk about how addicts will often start out using together, but when they're found in an overdose situation, they're always alone. So this this bill was designed to help people know that they don't that they can get help without having to be fear of being arrested. Um, it allowed healthcare prof professionals to begin to actually act in good faith and, and working on these people and and doing something to save their life without feeling like they have to notify authorities or, or take other action beyond saving the person's life. So that was a first step. Then that was followed up by um, Senate Bill 121, which was uh, signed by the governor back in April of 2017. It's also known as the Dallas Gay Act here in Georgia. Now, a, a little aside, Dallas Gay is a volunteer who has been working with the Medical Association of Georgia Foundation and their Think About It campaign. He has dedicated his life and has done so much 
to educate people, to provide information to doctors and lay people, legislators, about this risk. And, and this came out of a tragedy that he had personally, the overdose death of his grandson. So this bill was named after him as a tribute to the great advocacy work he has done. So what this has um, uh, impacted is taking that Good Samaritan bill, as we talked about, and m pushing it forward. Now it, are you not only not liable if you stay and wait with someone who has overdosed, um, you're not going to be arrested. If you provide um, the opioid reversal agent called naloxone, if you provide that to someone, then uh, in the... Um, in the original bill, you were not going to be held liable. If a doctor wrote a prescription for the naloxone, they were not going to be held liable. If a lay person injected someone or gave someone this um, particular medication, they were also not going to be liable. But now they have actually, in this Senate Bill 121, changed it where naloxone has been removed as being listed as a dangerous substance. So it is now available under order by our Director of Public Health. Um, she, uh, Brenda Fitzgerald is her name, and she's a physician who has written a standing order for every pharmacy in the state of Georgia to be able to provide naloxone for anyone who comes into the pharmacy and asks for it, whether it's a patient who's taking opioids, whether it's a school teacher worried about um, her students, whether it's a first responder, whether it's a family member, a loved one, or a concerned citizen, you can walk into um, a pharmacy in Georgia and you can purchase one of four different types of naloxone. The first one is a nasal spray. It's an adapter that you um, use. Uh, you have to have a little bit of training in how to put this together, but this allows you to give a dose of nasal spray that will reverse the opiate. The next thing is a, a prepackaged, uh, already um, pharmaceutical um, provided uh, nasal spray that has a higher dose rate of naloxone. And you have um, two sprays available within this, um, in this one kit. The next one would be the more typical, which is a multi-dose vial that we would use in the emergency room, where you would have um, the opportunity under sterile conditions to give multiple doses to different people from uh, a single vial, and then the other is a prepackaged auto-injector that actually talks to you and tells you what to do and what steps to follow as you are providing the um, naloxone for the individual. So this was a really big deal, and this has provided us with um, now access for this medication for anyone who wants to um, be able to rescue a, a loved one, um, a neighbor, 
someone that is uh, in danger of overdose. So I'm I'm confused. Initially, the the naloxone was listified as a dangerous drug. Yes. Because if you gave it to somebody and they had opiates in their system, it would cause them to immediately go into a withdrawal state, which is, even though it saves their life, it's a very, very painful situation. Well, it was more that it works on the opioid receptors. So anything that works on these particular uh, receptor sites in the brain was considered a dangerous drug. Now, this doesn't have action in the way that a pain medicine or heroin does. It's not activating those receptors and giving you a high. It's actually knocking all the opiates off those receptors, and it is binding tightly to them. And it will, as you mentioned, one of the things, and when we talk a little bit about um, the way in which uh, you might use this medication for somebody, it puts them in immediate withdrawal. Um, it's interesting because when you think about this this medication itself, it's one that we've talked about for a long time right. in the addiction field because it was prescribed for alcoholics to block the pleasures that you would get from drinking. I can, I can remember 10 years ago talking to patients about using this medication and warning them that, you know, it's going to keep you from the euphoria and the bliss of drinking, but it's not necessarily going to prevent you from getting a DUI or forget, prevent you from all these other consequences. Um, and so it was being used as a medication mm-hmm. for alcoholics back then. Um, why so long for it to start being used for, for the opiate addiction? Well, this, um, this particular medication, naloxone, is short-acting. And it, we have used this in emergency rooms for as long as I can remember. We, the, the trade name was Narcan. And we would give a Narcan injection if someone came in unconscious to the emergency room and we suspected it was an opiate overdose. So it has been around for a long time. Then uh, the company took that and made it a long-acting because these particular medications and something that you really need to be aware of, these medicines only last from 20 to 30 minutes. So the naloxone that you will get from a pharmacy lasts a very short time. The naltrexone, which is the long-acting form that we give to alcoholics, initially, and then about four years later, it was um, also given FDA approval for use in opioid addicts, people who were addicted to opioids, who said, I don't want to use anymore, please help me, and would give them this medication, which would result in their receptor sites being covered up, and even if they tried to use their opiates on top of it, they wouldn't get high. So we used it uh, and medication-assisted recovery for both alcohol and for opioids. But um, we couldn't use the long-acting form for someone in an acute overdose because, first of all, it doesn't act that quickly. It's not going to get into the system and reverse um, very quickly at all, and it lasts longer. So this is... um, uh, a more complicated medication that has to be given under certain circumstances. So that still remains uh, available in a pill form by prescription for treatment of 
alcoholism, and opioid addiction. But uh, it's also available in a long-acting shot that will last for 30 days. So this um, different formulations of the basic same molecule has, um, you know, different implications and different ways in which you would use it. But this short-acting naloxone is the medication that we are talking about in terms of now available at your local pharmacy. So prior to this, when it was classified as a dangerous drug, it was something that they had to have a specific prescription written by a doctor for a specific person um, um, so emergency medical people could not keep it necessarily or police couldn't keep it necessarily and certainly right. a concerned parent couldn't have it. Right. Um, and this new law is fixing that situation. Exactly. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about what Georgia is doing to attack this epidemic. Thanks for listening. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is Lawyer Liz. Join me each week as we discuss drones, the Internet of Things, and all the technology in between. It's Buzz Off with Lawyer Liz, Wednesdays at 2. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. This is Dr. Susan Blank, and you're listening to Detailing Addiction on America's Web Radio. David Donaldson from the Atlanta Healing Center and I have been discussing the impact of the opioid epidemic on the state of Georgia. The, our legislature and our governor 
has um, recognized the difficulty and has moved forward with a number of bills over the last couple of years, and several of them that were just signed recently with the goal to decrease um, the risk and increase opportunities for lives to be saved. So we've talked a little bit about the um, naloxone being now available under order from the uh, Director of Public Health, um, Dr. Fitzgerald, and we talked a little bit about the products, and we're going to come back to those, but I did want to just mention the other bills because these are really important too. Senate Bill 88 is specifically aimed at methadone treatment clinics. It is a stricter law than they had been experiencing before. It requires more documentation, more oversight, and uh, additional zoning requirements to help make sure that the treatment programs, such as the methadone maintenance programs, are available to patients, but that the quality of the treatment and the quality of the personnel is of the highest um, standards and that they are making priority treatment available for pregnant females and uh, making sure that um, there is good oversight. We talked about the Senate Bill 121, but there is now a, um, a Senate Bill um, 125, which allows a, a, a physician's assistant to give an emergency one-time prescription that's not refillable for hydrocodone. Many of you may be aware of, of approximately a year and a half ago, uh, hydrocodone, which was the most commonly prescribed uh, pain medication, and was a Schedule three, which means it could be called in by the doctor's office. You could have refills. Um, it was one that doctors and dentists and other healthcare providers often wrote. They made that a Schedule two federally, requiring a handwritten prescription, requiring a month's supply or less, and also requiring that um, the uh, patient be monitored. This has created some difficulty, particularly in areas that are underserved with health care. So this particular bill, Senate Bill 125, has expanded a little bit uh, the opportunity for a small five-day supply of hydrocodone of not more than 300 milligrams or probably 30 tablets for an adult and and uh, and um, 30 tablets, excuse me, 30 tablets or 300 milligrams of hydrocodone. And if you're under 18, it has to be 100 milligrams or less. There is also um, a change to the Georgia's prescription drug monitoring program. And many of you may be aware that Georgia does have this program where information regarding controlled substances is made available to doctors and pharmacists and other prescribers so that they have an opportunity to know what other prescriptions a patient is getting and from where, and it allows us to have closer oversight and a better decision-making regarding are we going to prescribe for somebody that's already getting the same medication down the street. That this new bill uh, requires everyone who has a DEA, 
a registration number to be registered by January of 2018. Right now it's, man, uh, it's uh, not mandatory. You can uh, do it or not as you choose. And in fact, unfortunately, many doctors are not even aware that we have this program. So therein lies a problem. But now everyone with the DEA number will be required to register. And by July 1st of 2018, if a prescriber is going to write a pain medication, a Schedule II, or benzodiazepine, they are required to check the PDMP before writing that prescription, and they are also required to uh, check it every 90 days. This is going to add some more burden to the doctors and the doctor's offices and hospitals, but in my opinion, this is going to be something that is going to greatly improve um, patient care and minimize doctor shopping and inappropriate prescribing of these medications. So Georgia is taking this seriously, and I am uh, very pleased to have been part of one of the governor's commissions on um, the opioid treatment programs, making recommendations to the legislature. So I, I think that this is all good news. We are going to really try and protect the public. But one of the things that we need to talk about now that our listening audience has an opportunity to get the naltrexone is what are the risk factors? Now, we think, David, you and I, um, mostly about our patients who have the disease of addiction. They've already been identified. They've been in treatment. We're worried, want to make sure that if there is a relapse or if there is a bad uh, situation that the patients and their families have access to this medication. But that's not the only time that we need to be worried about this. No, it's not. In, in fact, when we, when we think about it, the big warning that we give people lately and one of the big risk, risk factors is for our, our population is the reduced intolerance. People who had developed a, a pretty significant mm -hmm. tolerance to um, opiates when they were using it, but then because they've either been abstinent for a period of time or because they've been on medication-assisted medication recovery, their receptor sites have reset back to um, a state where, where it's like they haven't used before. So when they use even a small dose, it, it's, they run the risk of overdosing. Um, so that was the population that we regularly are warning about the risk for overdose. Um, but then there's there's also people who are, are mixing their chemicals. Um, if they're mixing, in particular, um, the heroin or opiates with benzodiazepines and other things, or alcohol, things that are central nervous system depressants, um, they they run out of a greater chance of um, of overdosing. Um, on that original list, in terms of the people whose tolerances have reset people who have been unable to use because they've been in prison or because they've been in a long-term treatment facility and they get out on the street, um, if, if they've gone a long period of time without using, their risk of overdosing when they, when they return to use is, is very great. The, um, you mentioned the benzodiazepines. The FDA has now come out with a black box warning reminding doctors not to prescribe benzodiazepines. These are medications like Xanax and Clonopin and Valium. 
Ativan, these medications that are sometimes used for sleep, sometimes used for anxiety, sometimes used for muscle um, stiffness and muscle cramps. Um, these medications are not to be prescribed if someone is also taking an opioid pain medication. Their risk of overdose goes up exponentially, and doctors are being educated that this is a very dangerous combination and not to do it. Well, and that speaks so greatly as to why the, the last law that you were talking about, the, the physicians must check the registry, um, is so crucial because many, many patients will be seeing a psychiatrist and they'll have anxiety issues, and for, for sudden onset of anxiety, Xanax is a common prescription. For long-term generalized anxiety, Clonopin is a common prescription. Mm -hmm. So they might be seeing a psychiatrist and having those medications, and then they might um, have, have lower back issues, or they might have an accident, and they go see a, a pain management specialist, and the next thing they're being prescribed opiates. So that is a real, real risk that if physicians aren't um, checking the registry and patients aren't thinking, you know, this doctor needs to know about my private, personal psychiatric issues, because, um, you know, those patients don't necessarily want to tell a doctor I'm on psych meds. Right. And sometimes they forget, honestly. And since most people aren't aware that there's a problem with that, they, for a variety of reasons, might forget or not tell the doctor. And so this is another safeguard besides asking the patient what medicines are you taking. Um, and an additional double check is really important. When we think about other risk factors, um, we know that drug dealers are not necessarily the most reasonable and responsible folks. Um, sometimes um, the drug dealer doesn't know what they're giving you. Sometimes they certainly never know exactly the dose unless it is in a pill form and it's a, um, a pain medication that is um, a prescription. So we often see that um, if there's a new dealer or if their regular dealer gets a new supply or any number of things, these folks are at high risk for overdose because you don't know what's in there. And with heroin, you also don't know what exact dose you're ever taking. They're much more complicated in the first stages of detox when they come in to the Atlanta Healing Center. Uh, because I don't really know what their dose is and I don't know how much medication it's going to take to get them out of withdrawal. So we have to watch over them very closely so that we give them the right amount of medication at the right time to uh, manage their withdrawal. But they never know. They this, never know. This was actually a, an issue with one of our patients just recently where, where this particular patient um, had been... Uh, a heroin addict and had been using heroin for a while and had gotten to a point of being clean um, and was working a program but then through some circumstances had a relapse um, and he was going back to the same um, dealer and he began noticing that the effect was different than what he remembered that he was mm -hmm. getting a lot higher and he was getting a different euphoria than he was had been getting 
And it wasn't until then that he came back in here and had a test, and we were able to say, no, that's not heroin that's in your system. You're, you're getting addicted to something new. And that is a big, big problem. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how to use um, the naloxone, a rescue, and in what persons this might be helpful. Thanks for listening. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. This is America's WebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you. Welcome back. This is Detailing Addiction. I'm Dr. Susan Blank. David Donaldson and I are speaking about the impact of the prescription opioid and illicit opioid epidemic, particularly here in Georgia, and some of the actions that have been taken in order to minimize this risk and to improve um, the opportunity for folks to live through an overdose and also be able to um, get into treatment after an overdose. So um, the law has been changed. There's now the Good Samaritan Law where individuals intervening are protected against any uh, criminal or civil charges. Um, There is a blanket prescription that has been written by Dr. Fitzgerald, who's the director of public health in Georgia. And so all of the pharmacies in Georgia are supposed to be um, providing us with... um, uh, the medication just by a request to do that. So what 
are we um, concerned about? And there are a couple of things that we need to know when we're thinking about who might need this. Now, we talked about it in terms of uh, patients who have addiction, and certainly they and their family members should have access to this medication. But um, anybody really taking an opioid or having those in their household should consider having it available because of the fact that they, um, if there's a change in their medication, um, an increased dose or a change to a different type, that puts them at risk of um, potentially overdosing, even though they're not misusing their medicine and they're taking it as prescribed. Also, there's other people that are coming into the house. We, um, we know that the most common source for recreational uh, prescription opioids is not the drug dealer. It's actually the family medicine cabinet or grandma's medicine cabinet. So it's very important if there is... Um, uh, someone who might be experimenting with drugs using medicines from your medicine cabinet, that they're at risk for an overdose. But, and, and that regularly is the story for, for how many of our patients got their first exposure to opiates with somebody's medicine cabinet. The other, the other people I think about in that setting is children. Yes. Um, because if a child sees something on the floor, they think of it as candy. And at, Children go through a stage where they put anything and everything in their mouth. And so what's important to know is that this prescription dose of the medication is also approved for use on children and approved for use on animals. If, you're, if your dog and beloved pet happen to stumble into the medication and we're experiencing an overdose, the same medication would work. Exactly. And you can use it in an infant as young as one year old. So very important um, that you recognize then when someone might have had an overdose. And one of the things to know about an overdose is that it might not happen immediately. It might be um, anywhere from one to three hours after they took the medication. This is particularly true of a medication like methadone that is often given for pain. It's got a long half-life, and the first few days on it, pain relief isn't very good because it has to build up in your system. And sometimes the patients will get impatient or think maybe they haven't taken it or let me take a little bit more, and they take a little bit more, and they take a little bit more, and the next thing you know, they've overdosed. So... Um, we know, though, that if patients are taking, um, uh, using illicit substances and either snorting, smoking, or injecting uh, what they think is an opioid, fentanyl might be on board. And if fentanyl is part of the picture, the overdose comes on extremely fast. Um, often the person hasn't even gotten the needle out of their arm. They, um, they have gone into overdose. So... Um, Things that you're going to look at is that the person often has very shallow breathing. And so they're breathing not deep at all, just a very light breathing, and their breath has dropped down dramatically. Most of us breathe anywhere from 12 to 16 times a minute. That's pretty normal. But when someone is going into overdose, they might be breathing 8 or 5 or 3 times a minute. And so it's not necessarily that they've stopped completely, but you know this is not good if they're breathing very slowly. 
Um, the, the next thing that you want to check for is their responsiveness. If you shake them or if you um, are smacking their hand or slapping them on the face, are they responding at all? Um, or, um, and looking at their eyes. This is the time when classic that pinpoint pupil um, is, is what you're looking for to see if that person's an overdose. So this middle part of the eye becomes so small that it, it's very tiny, and you might want to just um, do a little search on your computer for a, an image of a pinpoint pupil so that you know what I'm talking about. It's pretty dramatic, but it, um, it's uh, one of the sure signs that there's an opioid overdose. Often they also have blue lips and, um, and their nail beds may be blue. Now, some people who have been using opiates for quite a while, um, and, and in particular heroin addicts, will have that high, and then they kind of get the nods. They'll be sitting at the dinner table, and they'll just have the nods. Um, is that person in a state of overdose, and does the family, if someone sees somebody with the nods, would they go ahead and give them the injection? Um, not necessarily. If you can rouse the person by calling their name, or if you can rub them on the chest, um, a sternal rub, we call it, with your knuckles rubbing on their chest pretty, uh, then they're probably okay, but you want to keep an eye on them. If they're still responsive and still breathing, um, watch them. But if it begins to look like they're not responding when you talk to them and they're not trying to fake you out and make you think they're still <laughs> with you, um, you, you want to be really careful about that and, and have an idea that you might want to get the medication ready. Is there a danger if you were to give that medication to somebody who just had the nuts? Um, the only problem <laughs> that you would have is that person would go immediately into withdrawal, full tilt withdrawal, which every orifice that can um, leak fluid will. So they will often have um, a very active vomiting, diarrhea, runny nose, runny eyes, goosebumps, uh, abdominal pain, back pain, even if they don't usually have back pain, and it comes on immediately. So one of the cautions is once you give the medication, you may want to step back a little bit because they're going to wake up and they are going to be in withdrawal and they're going to be pretty uh, mad. So, um, so you, you, you aren't going to hurt somebody if they're unconscious for another reason besides an opiate overdose. Um, it may be that you just happen upon someone and they are um, unconscious. Uh, it's not going to hurt them to give the naloxone. It, if they are having a heart attack, it's not going to make anything worse. But if they don't respond at all, you need to um, be thinking of other options. One of the things to think about, too, is this person may be overdosing from a, a pain patch, a fentanyl or a butrans. These are medication patches. So you need to look and find that patch and take it off because leaving that patch on means they're still getting the medication in their system. So look and um, common places are at the top of the chest, on the upper arm, on the abdomen, or on the upper back. And look for those and pull those patches off if they're in an overdose state. Well, and I think also in that, with that warning, um, don't stop after you've found just one patch because 
because frequently um, an opiate addict who's using fentanyl patches will have two or three or even four right. on their body um, trying to get as much as possible. Um, we've heard of, of more than that, quite honestly. Right. So you need to keep looking and make sure. Um, when you get a patient um, or an individual that you think is um, in overdose, you want to uh, either give them the nasal inhalant um, immediately, knowing that it's going to take up to a minute or two for that to start working. If you're going to be using either the auto-injector or the old-fashioned drops, a syringe and give an injection, you're going to inject at a 90-degree angle right through their pants leg into their outer thigh. You don't have to get it into a vein. In fact, the injections are pretty easy. You'll want to make sure that the person is um, rolled on their left side. If you lay on your left side, you're going to be less likely to vomit, and if you vomit, it's going to be a smaller amount because of the shape of the uh, stomach. So the first thing you're going to want to do if you come upon someone unconscious, roll them on their left side. Do a mouth sweep like they taught you in CPR. Make sure that if there's anything in their throat that um, you've gotten that out, call 911. You must call 911. The naloxone that you're going to be giving is a short-acting um, medication. And they'll, when it starts wearing off, they're going to go back into overdose. You must call 911 and be prepared. Stay with them. You may have to give them another injection if they begin to look like they're going back into withdrawal or you don't get them immediately out of withdrawal. It is really important. And please, please do call 911. One other other point to remember is that when they, you give them the medication and they, they come out of withdrawal, their brain is going to say, I want to use again. So they are going to say, get out of my way, I need to get some. And it's, it's really important that you don't let them use again at this point because they are real likely to go right back into withdrawal. So please check out the naloxone at your pharmacy, and we will um, see you next week on Detailing Addiction. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like.